the last time we began to look at this new individual that's come on the scene here, this man named Elihu, who apparently was a bystander through most of this conversation that went on between Job and his three friends. And what we saw was that he was displeased with the way Job's three friends had argued with him, but that he was also angry with Job for the way he responded to the sufferings that God sent his way, especially as those sufferings went on. You remember Job had a tremendous response initially, a faith-filled, godly, uh, just uh, a, a response that uh, amazes us. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But as time wore on, that type of response dwindled and there began to be some arrogance, some sinfulness in what Job had to say. He would impugn God's justice and view God, began to view God as his enemy instead of one who cared about him greatly. Elihu especially mentions two areas of disagreement with Job. That is, Job claiming that God was mistreating him and Job, claim, Job claiming that God was being silent, not caring, not allowing Job to bring his case before him, before God. Now, one of the things that I haven't brought out uh, as clearly in the past goes right along with that because it seems like one of the big things in Job's mind uh, was his own vindication. His friends were accusing him of all kinds of major sin, and Job wanted God to speak up and vindicate him. And it certainly seems that at times his personal vindication seemed more important to Job than God's name or God's glory. And the more Job's friends accused him, the more he demanded vindication from God. And we never demand anything from God, even something that seems right like our vindication, you know. Job was living a righteous life up until some of these terrible trials came upon him. Now, God does ultimately vindicate Job before his friends, but it's only after Job repents of his words that were dishonoring and his attitude toward God that dishonored God. It was after Job repented of those things, then God vindicates him before his friends. So, what it seems like as we read these various uh, comments, there's actually four different sections here that Elihu speaks up and talks to Job in. Uh, it seems like he is paving the way for God to deal with Job in terms of repentance and just seeing what God really wants to say to him. Now, one of the ways that Elihu deals with Job 
is to tell him that God is speaking to you. You're just not recognizing it. We brought that out last time. He's speaking to you through various means, but one of the main means is through this chastening that you're going through. This, these afflictions that you're experiencing is one of the ways that God's trying to speak to you. And basically what Elihu says is you should not view this chastening as some kind of retribution for sin, but as, as God's way of helping you see your need. God's way of helping you see your need. God is not his enemy, but he is concerned for his deliverance. And as we said last time, God sometimes afflicts the body for the good of the soul and brings trials in order to teach us. Um, we saw that. Let's just go back here just briefly. Um, chapter 33 and verse 19, where um, Elihu is speaking concerning the various ways that uh, God uh, can teach us and speak to us. Uh, he's talked about dreams, but he also talks about chastening. Man is also chastened with pain upon his bed and with unceasing complaint in his bones. So he talks about the situation of chastening, and it fits, I mean, the, the way he explains it fits Job's situation very well. But if you skip over then to 29, verse 29, you see the what Elihu is saying God's trying to do through this type of chastening. Um, verse 29, Behold, God does all these oftentimes with men to bring back his soul from the pit, pit that he may be enlightened with the light of light. God is trying to teach you. God is speaking. You just need to realize that and listen and learn. He wants to enlighten you with the light of life. So, um, this is an important lesson for all of us because uh, we have and maybe are right now and certainly will have times like this of suffering, affliction, difficulty, trials, and we need to believe that God is in those things teaching us, not punishing us, but purifying us. As John Piper put it, the pain God causes to his children is like the surgeon's knife, not like the executioner's whip. Job's afflictions were not to punish him, but to purify him. Um, just one more verse on that. If you turn, turn over to 36.15. He delivers the afflicted in their affliction and opens their ear in times of oppression. He opens their ear. So if you're going through a particular trial, consider that God wants to teach you something here. He'll open your ear if you'll just allow that and listen and learn from what's being, uh, what you're going through. Piper again says, Elihu reveals that suffering may be decreed for the righteous as a protection against greater sin, for the moral betterment and warning, and to elicit greater trust and dependence on a merciful, compassionate God in the midst of adversity. So those are some various things that uh, were different by what this man was saying, Elihu, than what these three friends had been saying before. Basically, Job's
friends said he was suffering because of his past sin. Elihu said, no, that's not true, but he's now sinning because of his wrong reaction to suffering. There's a difference, you see, a big difference. It's not that, it's not that he was suffering because of his sin, but he was now sinning by his reaction to his suffering, his wrong reaction. So God's purpose in all this adversity was for good, but Job was misinterpreting that and saying it was bad. So what Elihu is basically saying is that God sends trouble to his people for good purposes. God sends trouble for good purposes. Job, you're not right in what you're saying. You're not right in your reaction. Now, we saw that last time when we looked at chapter 33, verses uh, 8 through 12. Elihu was saying, this is what I've been, li- I've been listening, and here's what I hear you saying. Surely you have spoken in my hearing. I have heard the sound of your words. And here's what Job's been saying. I am pure without transgression. I'm innocent. There's no guilt in me. Behold, he invents pretexts against me. That's God doing this to Job, inventing pretexts against him. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in stocks. He watches all my paths. Behold, let me tell you. Now this is Elihu speaking again. Behold, let me tell you, you are not right in this. For God is greater than man. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't mistreat people. God doesn't act unjustly. So Job saying, or Elihu saying to Job, you're not right in the way you're thinking here. You're getting off track. And he goes on to say this. Let's just look at a couple other places. Uh, 34, 5 through 15. Chapter 34, 5 through 15. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my right. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. There's another bad attitude which came in. There's no hope. What God's doing to me, it's incurable. What man is like Job, who drinks derision up like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? For he has said, it profits a man nothing when he... When he is pleased with God. What Elijah is saying is, Job, what you're saying is what a wicked person would say. What an ungodly unbeliever would say. You're saying it doesn't profit a man anything to serve God and please God and be pleased with God. So that's, that's the way a wicked person talks. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to do wrong. For he pays a man according to his work, he makes him find it according to his way. Surely God will not act wickedly, and the Almighty Almighty will not pervert justice. As Job said, you know, God's perverting justice, and Elihu says, impossible. God will never pervert justice. Who gave him authority over the earth, and who has laid on him the whole world, if he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, 
all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Saying, how can you say these things about God? God's in control of everything. He's in charge of your life. He gave you life. If he determined to do so, he could just take your breath away right now and that'd be all. I was just thinking about, you know, this world just has a thin layer of atmosphere around it. God just wanted to suck that away. We'd all die just like that. Just a little, little veil of air that he's given us here to live in. Well, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together. All men would return to dust. So, he's saying, don't talk like this, Job. You're talking like a wicked man would talk. Um, 35 verses 1 through 3. Then Elihu continued and said, Do you think this is according to justice? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, What advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? Again, that same kind of argument. He said, Elijah says, Job, think about what you're saying. You're saying there's no profit in serving God. It's no different if you sin or if you don't sin. That's a terrible thing that a wicked, ungodly person would say. Don't let those kind of thoughts even come into your mind, let alone say them. Um, Job 35, uh, 13 through 16. Surely God will not listen to an empty cry nor were the Almighty regarded. How much less when you say you do not behold him. Saying, you know, you're saying God doesn't listen. God's not care, caring for you. God doesn't, is not concerned about what's happening. Elias says, the case is before him, and you must wait for him. Now, there's some good counsel. God knows what's going on. The case is before him. You need to be patient. Now, you know, admittedly, this was a terrible trial for Job. Days after days of all this sorrow and affliction. But it's still, it's still right counsel to say, you know, God God's knows what he's doing. You just need to be patient. And now because he has not visited you in anger, nor has he acknowledged transgression well, so Job opens his mouth emptily, and multiplies words without knowledge. In other words, I think he's saying here, you know, the fact that God isn't reprimanding you and and visiting affliction because of the way you're speaking to Him just makes it so you say these things more and more. But that's not that's not it's 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 God's kindness that He's not uh, uh, dealing with you in anger because of what you're saying. Don't multiply words without knowledge. Don't keep speaking against God. So that's the type of thing that that Elihu is uh, trying to drill home to Job. But he goes from that type of thing into a, a, a bigger, more, uh, I would say, uh, helpful area in terms of speaking to Job in about creation. Uh, he concludes his speaking to Job by emphasizing that he must get his eyes off of, him, of himself and get his eyes on the bigger picture, which is always a good counsel also. 
get your eyes off yourself and look at the bigger picture. And, you know, we can't always do that, but there's certain things we can get our eyes on that speak to us about the bigger picture. First of all, he says, consider who you're complaining against, your creator and the one who sustains everything. He's already brought that out about withdrawing his spirit and his breath. Who are you to say things like this? Consider who you're speaking to. Consider his majesty, especially as it's displayed in the world and the forces of nature. The wondrous works of God, Elihu says. Consider, think about the wondrous works of God. Now, I can't help but think that they were outside as this conversation went on, just because of the way he expresses himself here. Uh, let's just read some of this. He's changing the argument now. He's taking on a new area, and uh, it has to do with the wondrous works of God. So Job 36, 24. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. Remember that you should exalt his work, of which men have sung. All men have seen it. This is something everybody can see this creation, this wondrous world that God's made in the universe. All men have seen it. Men behold from afar. Behold, God is exalted, and we do not know him. The number of his years is unsearchable, for he draws up the drops of water. They distill rain from the mist, which the clouds pour down. They drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds and the thundering of his pavilion. Behold, he spreads his lightning about him. He covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges people, and he gives food in abundance. He says, God's doing lots of things here in this, this creation, even in the things of the drawing and distilling the water from the midst and sending the clouds out. Some of it has to do with judging people. Some of it has to do with uh, giving food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning. He commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence. The cattle also, concerning what is coming up, even the cattle, you know, realize uh, God's doing something when that lightning uh, and thunder come. Well, the idea, the thought here, concerns God's greatness being beyond our comprehension. He really says that twice. Verse 20, 26, Behold, God is exalted, and we do not know him. The number of his years is unsearchable. He says it again in 37, uh, verse 5. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing things which we cannot comprehend. God is doing things beyond our comprehension. So Elihu is saying, Job, shift your attention from yourself to God. That would save us a lot of problems. Just that one little word of counsel if we remember to do it. Shift your attention from yourself to God. If you can't understand even basic things about his creation, like how he uh, sp 
spreads the clouds. You can't, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? If you can't even understand basic things about his creation, how are you going to argue with him about the situation you're in? And how can you call his ways into question? You don't even understand a cloud. Well, he goes on with that type of argument. We won't read all of chapter 37. Some of it we've read many times, especially if there's a big lightning storm. We've read some of these before, but let's just read a little bit of it here. Verse 30, or chapter 37, verse 1. At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice. He might have been... He might have been in the midst of a storm coming up right then. He says, listen to the thunder. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heaven, he lets it loose and is lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightning when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing things which we cannot comprehend. And it goes on and talks about how he commands the snow and the downpour. He can seal the hand of any man anytime he wants to. You're gonna, you think you're going to work tomorrow? You may not work tomorrow. He might change that just by sending a storm. I, I was very much aware of that when I was up at my, my uh, mom's house in the town, my hometown there. Uh, he can change things overnight really quickly uh, for any of us. So he goes on and talking, talks about how God uh, uses his clouds and lightning to, to, uh, cor- for correction, for his world, for loving kindness. Uh, he has all kinds of things that he's doing through even the weather patterns that he brings our way. But if we skip down, let's see. Uh, let's skip down to verse 14. Listen to this, O Job. Stand and consider the wonders of God. Do you know how God establishes them and makes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the land is still because of the south wind. I couldn't help but think of that verse when I was up on working on my brother's roof. I mean... He, he can make it so you can't hardly work for 10 minutes. Your garments get so hot, you just have to stop. Drink some water. Because you're not going to... It's just... You can't handle it. Well, anyway. You whose garments are hot when the land is still because of the south wind. Can you with him spread out the skies, strong as a molten mirror? Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot arrange our case because of darkness. You don't know enough to arrange your case before God. He's, he's the one perfect in knowledge. You have so little knowledge. What are you gonna, how are you going to tell God what to do and what, what he's doing at being right or wrong? Shall it be told him that I would speak? Or should a man say, if, if man sh- or should a man say that he would be swallowed up? You think you're going to go before God and tell him? how to run the universe. Well, let me just try to summarize. We, that's a very uh, quick <laughs> overview of these, 
these chapters uh, related to what Elihu had to say. But to summarize, in relationship to suffering, God can teach us things about himself that we might not learn in pleasant situations. Like what's still in our lives that needs to be dealt with. And like uh, the fact that at best we are yet sinners saved by grace. And like the reality of how far we're capable of falling if God takes his hand away. And like the fact that there is yet much mystery in God's dealings with mankind, even with his saints. Suffering can make us realize that there are events in our lives that bring questions to which there are no easy answers. The person that can give a quick, easy answer to someone suffering may do more harm than good and probably hasn't gone through very much in their own life because they wouldn't be given that easy answer if they had. Real faith can be shaken, though not ultimately destroyed. That's what we see here with Job. False comforters give simplistic answers to life's most difficult questions. If you get a simplistic answer to some really difficult, deep hardship in your life, you're probably listening to a false comforter. Job's three friends had done that, but Elihu had not. Now, that doesn't mean that everything Elihu said was just right on target. I think there were some things that uh, where he uh, wasn't quite hitting the mark. Um, but uh, he was a lot closer than the three friends. And God uh, never rebuked what he said the way, God, the way he did with with those three friends. I think, ultimately, the best thing Elihu did was to point Job to the unfathomable majesty and mystery of God and then get out of the way. That was, I think that was his great contribution. Just point, point him to the majesty and mystery of God and then just bow out of the situation. You know, you don't see any more of Elihu once God shows up. But he did, I think, pave the way for God to speak through the whirlwind and the storm. And I really do think that storm was probably blowing, beginning to blow, uh, as uh, Elihu's concluding his section here in chapter 37. Let's just read the conclusion here of 21 to the end. And now, men, do not see the light. Men do not see the light which is bright in the skies, but the wind has passed and cleared them. In other words, I think he's talking about the sun. And if there's clouds there, you don't see it. But when God wants to, he just takes that away, and you're looking right directly at the sun. Out of the north comes golden splendor. Around God is awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is exalted in power and he will not do violence to justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in heart. 
And then if you just see what comes next, then the Lord answered Job out of out of the whirlwind. So I think that whirlwind, whirlwind was already beginning to blow as Job, as Elihu was finishing up speaking to Job, and it was a preparation for God Himself to speak. Uh, let me just read what one writer said commenting not on just on this last section but this whole section from Elihu he said God's ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts there is a chasm that divides God's mind from ours that is of infinite width a chasm that divides God's mind from ours that is of infinite width we cannot ever expect to discern what he is doing unless he tells us Sometimes what he does looks so baffling and so strange that all we can do is wonder. It should make us want to tremble a little. See, if if our concept of God is one where we have so many answers to things that we don't tremble at the mystery and majesty of God, we got a very shallow, low, insufficient view of God. It should make us tremble a little when we think of God's ways and our lack of being able to say exactly what he's doing often. God knows what he's doing. Job must learn that God is not obligated to answer his demands either for vindication or to give an explanation of everything that he's doing to satisfy Job or us. He doesn't have to do that. He must learn to lay his hand on his mouth. Job must, and we have to sometimes too. He must learn to lay his hand upon his mouth and say, "It is now this is good. It is not important that I understand. It is only important that I trust the one who does. That's the, that's the whole issue. There's going to be some things you do not understand. And you can ask God to show you, but he may not. That's up to him. But it is important that you trust the one who do, does understand. When, when Elihu finishes up here, he says this, He will not do violence to justice and abundant righteousness. What's he saying? He's saying no matter what happens, you have got to believe that God is just in everything that happens, everything that he does, and, and he's righteous in all his ways. No matter how things look, no matter how bad it gets, you've got, you're going to have to hold on to that because that is a firm foundation. No matter what, we must believe that he will not do violence to justice and abundant righteousness. Don't be wise in your own eyes, thinking you can somehow figure things out beyond God's explanation. Well, that's this section from Elihu. We're going to, Lord willing, take up then God's dealings with Job as he begins to speak to him in the whirlwind. And what I would like to do in relationship to that is I have some questions concerning 
this next section. It would be chapter 38 through chapter 40, verse 5. That's the, the part that I hope to deal with, at least begin to deal with next time. 38 through 40, verse 5. So here are seven questions that I think if you'll read that section, those chapters, and try to answer these questions, it'll help in terms of what we do next time. So uh, there's 50 sheets here. I'm going to put them in back. If you have access to a computer and the Internet uh, and can run this off yourself, um, you don't need to take one of these. Um, I'll get it to Terry, and she'll get it on online, and then you can just download it and read it and uh, print it off because I do want you to bring uh, the sheets next time. So if you don't have access or you don't think you'll be able to run it off for some reason, go ahead and take a sheet, um, and we'll leave some here because next time some will forget to bring the sheet. So we'll have some. We'll have some. For all of us forgetful people, uh, so that's that's where we're headed, Lord willing. So, please read the section; it'll help a lot.